Amen. Awesome. So again, we're going to be in Isaiah 53. We're going to see four things tonight. We're going to see that the Messiah came to be a servant, that he came to suffer, that he came as a sacrifice, but he came to satisfy the wrath of God. And so we're going to begin by jumping into Isaiah 53. We're going to see the servanthood of the Messiah. Look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And see, I want to begin with giving some context here, because what we just did, we jumped into the 53rd chapter of a book with 66 chapters in it. <laughs> That's a pretty daunting task to say, well, what's been happening so far? What is, what is this writer? Why is it called Isaiah? Isaiah is a prophet that's writing approximately, something will give or take, about 750 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And see, this is important, because what he is proclaiming is that God will send the promised Messiah. He will send the one that will deliver you from your sins. He will send that one that's going to rule and to reign. And see, as we're preaching this message, we're told in Isaiah 6, I believe it is, that though you're going to go and you're saying, here am I, send me, the people are not going to receive your message. For the most part, they are going to reject the message that the Messiah is going to come to suffer, to die for sins. And see, there was this belief that the Messiah, what he was going to do when he showed up, he was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to, you know, well, let's, let's start here. Rome's not in existence quite yet, but eventually that's the belief, right? Let's put it this way. He's going to overthrow our enemies. He's going to exalt us as his people. He's going to make us better than everyone because we are just so good because we're the children of Abraham. We even got disco lights tonight. That was cool. So <laughs> take them back. I like it. All right. But here's the deal. Isaiah is writing in 750 years before Jesus is born. We have to understand this. Because what he's writing about here, we would think that someone watched the scene of the cross, watched the life of Jesus and said, I'm going to explain in a documentary what just occurred. And it's interesting because Isaiah will talk at some points in the past tense, although he's talking about the future. Do you know what I love about this? Two things. The Lord is outside of our space and time. Prophecy is so important because it shows that God, this is not a book just made up, it is written by God, Amen. And see, when we take this whole book, the whole counsel of the Word of God, all of Scripture, you have something 40 plus different authors, human authors, over thousands of years writing about different things that you would think, but they all come together. And do you know who they all point to? The Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> And see, Isaiah 53 is Isaiah receiving the word of God and saying, this is what's coming. Who is going to believe our report? Who is the arm of the Lord going to be revealed to? And see, the report that he is giving in this section in particular is the Messiah is coming, but he's going to die. He's going to bear the iniquities, the transgressions, the sins of men. We have to understand how controversial this idea would be if all you thought was that he was coming to just elevate us. That he's coming to immediately rule with that rod of iron like Zechariah 9.10 talks about. 
Remember, we studied last week, Zechariah 9.9. Jesus came first as the Prince of Peace to save us from our sins. Amen? See, if Jesus doesn't come first as the suffering Messiah to die for the sins of mankind, if He shows up immediately and establishes His kingdom, no one's going in with Him. <laughs> He had to come and willingly die for sins. And this idea, man, who would believe this report? This, this is a radical thing, but also, it says that he would grow up before God as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. This is crazy because you're thinking, man, the king that's coming, the ruling one, he's going to be awesome, right? He's going to look like majestic. He's going to look like royalty. He's going to be gorgeous and big and strong, right? It says when this Messiah comes, there's not going to be a comeliness in the sense that you'd be like, pick him out of a lineup of ten potential messiahs, right? <laughs> without the word, without the miracles, you would say, I don't know where the Messiah is in this lineup. He doesn't look like anything different. And see, these are making people understand that God is going to put on flesh. <laughs> come as a man. Remember, Jesus added humanity to his deity. And he's going to come and he's going to die in the place of sinful people. It says that he's going to be a tender plant. <laughs> Do we have gardeners in here? I love it. You guys are like me. I ain't gardening, right? That takes too much time. All right. So gardening, my, when I hear a tender plant, I think of some little delicate flower or something that if you just step on it, it's just dead, right? It says the Messiah that you're expecting to come overthrow everything. He's going to be like this like tender plant. Think about what Jesus said when he came in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are, are heavy laden, right? And I will give you rest. I'm lowly, I'm gentle in heart, come to me. And see, that's that tenderness that we're talking about. The Messiah shows up and says, come to me, I will receive you. But also it says that he's a root out of the dry ground. Have you ever heard someone in ministry say, man, we're, we're out planting, but it's real dry ground. You ever heard someone say that? <laughs> I've heard this a lot. And what that usually means, we all go, man, it's really hard to do like spiritual things out here. It's kind of a dry land. It's kind of tough. You see, where Jesus was growing up, so to speak, where he was born, according to, I believe it was Micah 5, 2, if I remember right, it said that Bethlehem would be the hometown, the, the birth town of the Messiah. And see, if you would have heard that, why is that little town? Why is he coming from there? Because he's lowly and accessible. Amen? See, if Jesus comes and he's that ruling reign Messiah, it's just chopping everyone to pieces immediately. We can't access him. No one is worthy or able to enter in his presence. But when the Lord Jesus comes and says, I'm coming first to call you to believe upon me, that I will die in your place for your sins. If you believe in my word, you will have eternal life, John 5, 24 says. And see, that was so drastically different than what they expected. But it says he's going to be accessible. He's going to be lowly. But because of that, we're told in verse 3, he's despised and rejected by men. Have you ever had someone, maybe you used to be this way. Someone would tell you about Jesus and you'd say, Jesus, I don't need Jesus, right? What's he, where it's, if, he's, if he's God, let him show himself. Let him prove it right now, right? There's some despise in the mouths of men towards Jesus Christ today. And see what it is, they say, no, if he's God, he's going to look like this. He's going to fit my box of what a Messiah is. He's got to fit my agenda, my thing, my, my expectations. 
And see what it says, he was despised. And it's interesting because John references this set of verses in John 12, 37 and 38. He says, But although he had done so many signs before them, speaking of Jesus, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? See, what John was saying is, man, he came to his own, and his own rejected him. John 1.11 tells us that. But I love John 1.12. It goes on to say, but as many as believe upon the name of Jesus Christ, they shall be children of God. And see, the reality is, it's the same Jesus showing up revealing himself. For some, they will say, that's not the Messiah I want. That's not the guy I'm looking for. <laughs> It doesn't change who he is. You're just going to miss the Messiah. You're going to miss the one who's coming to take you and save you from your sins. But those that embrace him, man, we become children of God. We become the part of the family of God as we put our trust in him. Are we not grateful for that tonight? Amen? Look at how he came to suffer. Look at verse 4 through 6. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we see first that he came as the servant, the lowly, humble servant coming from, from these places like Bethlehem or, or Nazareth. Remember what the conversation between Nathaniel and Andrew was? Nathaniel told Andrew, nothing good. What, are you serious? The Messiah's not coming from Nazareth, right? Well, he can't, he's coming as this servant, and when he comes, he's going to suffer according to verses 4 through 6. This is what Isaiah was looking forward to, that we look back to tonight on Good Friday. We look back to that suffering of Jesus Christ in our place. It says that he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet people esteemed him as stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What that means, if you were to see Jesus partaking in the cross, enduring that pain, that shame, you would look upon him and go, man, that must be a really wicked criminal <laughs> to get that kind of treatment, to have to bear that kind of pain. Remember, between two criminals, by the way, you would walk by and say, all oh, those people, those people must be just hated by God. They're dying because they've done something terrible. And see, we know that the Jewish religious leaders... In John, I believe it's John 5, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill Jesus, because he not only broke the Sabbath in their mind, he also professed that he was God's son, making himself equal with God. And see, the Jewish leaders, they said, no, you're not coming and exalting us. You're not coming and you're not establishing further our prominence, our power, our prestige. You're coming here cleansing temples. <laughs> you're coming here calling us a, your, your forerunners calling us a brood of vipers. <laughs> you're calling us a den of thieves. This is insulting. And what we must do if we want to keep our life the way we like it, they said, we have to destroy Jesus. We have to silence his voice. And see, we're told specifically in John 19.7, they said, we have a law, and according to our law, he has to die because he made himself the son of God. And see, that's an important statement because people will tell you, well, Jesus never claimed to be the son of God. He never claimed to be God. This is why he died in their eyes. They, they knew that he had said this and they took it and they twisted everything he said and they said he's a blasphemer. 
He's not doing the things that he should be doing. If he's the son of God, he should be obeying our rules is what they would say. And see, Jesus came, he cleansed the temple with that messianic authority. He rode in on the back of that donkey on the right day, in the right place, in the right way. <laughs> he came in and he said, I am the one that's promised. And see, it's interesting here, it says in verse 5, this is so important, this is that verse that we all, I, I know for me, I think of this every Good Friday. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. If you get no other verse tonight, if you're here and you say, man, I'm just about to switch off and be done with this, this is the verse to understand. You see, what it says here in verse 5, he wasn't wounded because of his transgressions. It wasn't because he was a blasphemer. He was the truth. He was dying in the place of sinful, wicked men. Amen? And see, what it says here is that it was for our transgressions. You could say rebellion. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's wickedness, sinfulness. And it says the chastisement. That means the punishment that our transgressions, that our iniquities deserved. They were put upon him that we may know peace with God. That's a radical, I believe the greatest transaction in human history. <laughs> the perfect Son of God comes and dies on a cross and says, I am going to die though I do not deserve it. I am perfect in every way. I am going to willingly submit to the Father's plan for the sick, for the, uh, the, the, the sinful. I'm going to take their sins and that they may receive peace with God. That's a transaction none of us should ever know or experience. <laughs> But because of the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the love of the Lord, because of Jesus' obedience, He went to the cross, He died in our place, and by His stripes, by His wounds, we are healed. Amen? Amen. Notice that word healed is in past tense. <laughs> this is a big, big phrase here. Remember when Jesus cried out on the cross? He said, it is finished. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ... You can be assured that you are healed from the, 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 the weight of your sin that God does, had to pour wrath upon. You've been healed from that. You've been delivered from that. He's writing 700 years ahead of Jesus, but he's speaking in the past tense. He says it's so certain that God is going to do this. That if you put your trust in it, in the one to come that will suffer, that will die, you will be healed. And see, Romans 5, 1, it tells us, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> that is a wonderful verse. If you walked in here tonight and said, Man, I don't know the Lord. I don't know God. I don't think God even likes me. <laughs> Can I tell you, God loves you. And He proved it through the giving of His Son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came and died in our place, when we put our trust in Him, this is the beautiful thing. We now know peace. Peace with God. A beautiful word. Tranquility, right? I believe in this case the word peace is Irene in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Greek when it's used in the New Testament. I always think about this. It's tranquility. It's still waters. And man, if you're at war with the Lord tonight, the way you can bring peace is to submit to the work of Jesus Christ, to accept the work of Jesus Christ and profess it as your own. Amen? And see, it says, why do I need to do that? It says in verse 6, it says, because all, all we, <laughs> he's speaking of Israel, but we know and understand that we as human beings, we are sinners. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
You guys have probably heard this before. Whatever church you're at, you've heard this. What do we think of after when we're reading the Bible about sheep? What's the first attribute of a sheep that you think of? Okay, there's some different things. So I'm hearing like dirty, stinky, dumb. That's three things that usually you get about sheep, right? I know we think they're really cute. Like we all want baby sheep, but sometimes you don't take care of them. They get real stinky and stuff, right? They can bite, I've heard sometimes, right? There's a lot of things. <laughs> but here's the deal. Sheep have been said to be dumb animals. I have a friend that is a shepherd in Colorado. He raises sheep in alpaca, actually. And he says sheep are the worst. He says if one goes over here when you're not looking, guess what the rest of them do? They all just walk away. There could be a wolf sitting there and they'll walk into his mouth. What's up, dude? Want dinner? Right? They'll just head over there. If there's a cliff, they'll walk off the cliff one after another over and over. And see, it says all of we, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm okay accepting that because I recognize that I have often been like a dumb sheep that goes astray. <laughs> I go this way and my own thing. You may go that way. It says we're all like sheep that turn everyone to his own way. And see, this is interesting because some people might say, well, that guy's sin is one thing, but my sin's okay, right? I'm not as bad as that guy. No, you're going your own way the wrong way. <laughs> There's one way and it has to be submitted to the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And see, the Lord's so good because he says, I believe it's in John 10, 7 or 9, I believe. The Lord says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How beautiful is that? And see, I love this idea because the good shepherd has also been the, the lamb of God to take away the sin of the sheep. <laughs> We've talked about Jesus being the best boss because he never asked you to do anything he hasn't already done himself. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, but I'm also going to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins. And I'm calling you. I've lived in your shoes in the sense of being a human. I've done everything. And I'm telling you, you must accept this. Everyone has sinned. You must turn and walk in these ways. And see, many would reject it because they said, this doesn't fit my box. This doesn't fit. I don't like being called a sinner, some might say. <laughs> if you're offended by the gospel, I'll tell you, you need to be offended. <laughs> the gospel starts with us acknowledging that we are guilty. Amen? To say, all I am is guilty before a holy, perfect God, but the perfect sacrifice, Jesus came. And he obeyed that plan of God and died in our place. Look at verse 7. It says... He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. <laughs> and see, in this section here, what we're seeing in verse 7 through 9 is the sacrificial offering of the Lamb of God. See, we talked about sheep a minute ago, or, you know, a lamb and sheep. We said, oh, well, sheep are kind of dumb, right? Let me give you another attribute here where it's being applied in this case. They're not saying now that Jesus is some dumb sheep. What they're saying is Jesus is like a lamb because he's gentle. He's docile. A lamb will do this. If you bring a lamb to the shears, remember we said they're kind of like oblivious, right? <laughs> you have the shears here. They'll walk right into it. They'll come right in. They don't put up a defense. They don't put up a fight when it's time to sacrifice the lamb, when it's time to shear it. 
Can I tell you that Jesus had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to escape the cross. And he willingly continued on with a face like flint, like stone. He went towards it. And we're told in Hebrews 12 too, why would he do such a thing? For the joy that was set before him. You see, Jesus understood that though there is a cross before me, beyond this cross, there is a resurrection, there is salvation, there is justification coming. Salvation is coming through this, this instrument of death is going to become a pathway of life. Amen? And he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go silently. But he had opportunities to get out. Think about what we read in the Gospels. First of all, when he comes before Pilate, Pilate says, do you not hear the things they're saying about you? Open your mouth and say something. And it says that Jesus stayed silent. The only times he would answer someone was when he'd said, you, you've rightly said that I am the Son of God. Which, man, they're trying to say that he's a blasphemer, so they're saying he's the Son of God. The only thing he's saying is furthering the charges because he wouldn't withhold the truth that he was God the Son. But he says, I'm not bowing out from this. Though he prayed in the garden to the point of blood, sweating blood, so, Father, if there's any other way, but your will be done. And see, Jesus obediently, willingly went forward through this. He didn't try to escape. He didn't try to fight his way out. Remember in the garden when they come to arrest him? Peter, right? Peter's like, oh, I'm not going down like this, right? Peter starts swinging on people. He's cutting ears off. Jesus is picking up ears like, come on, dude, like putting them back on people, right? But remember what Jesus said? He said, do you not think I can't call down angels right now? We can get out of here. When he says, Jesus says, I, I am, right? Boom, they fall over in one of the accounts. He could release all of that deistic power in their calling the angels, but he reserved it because he had a mission as the Messiah to come and willingly step into our place upon the cross because he was going to bear our iniquities, our transgressions. Amen? And when we consider all this, we look at what it says here. It says he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? Because he was cut off from the land of the living. And see, what this is saying is, man, he, was, he didn't open his mouth. And because of that, what they did, they went and imprisoned him. We talk about that. They got him in the garden. They put him in chains. Then they're going to take him to judgment. He had an illegal, they had an illegal trial for him at night in the, Jew, the Jewish council. Then another in the morning. Then they're taking him over to, uh, what, to, to, to Pilate, then to Herod, and then back to Pilate. All these things. And then by the, end of the, by the end of this process, early in the day, he's being led to a cross to die. And see, we have to remember, we're talking about a 33-year-old man who had no children. <laughs> and so they thought, man, we're going to cut off the lineage of Jesus. We're going to put him away. He's going to be done. This Messiah that's coming, he's going to be over. <laughs> and it's interesting here. That was the thought was, man, who is going to declare his generation? Can I remind you that those that put their trust in the name of Jesus become children of God? <laughs> they thought they were cutting off Jesus' lineage. All they were doing was playing into the perfect plan of God to bring in all of us. That we now can be children of God. They thought that they were winning. They were absolutely losing. But I love the fact that God in His mercy still made this available to even the transgressors that chased Him all the way to the cross. We know this, right? I think about a, a guy named, uh, what, Paul from Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> a man we believe was a member of the Sanhedrin. A man that was present for many of these things. And he would later become the guy that writes a majority of the New Testament. <laughs> Is that not mercy and grace? 
Can I tell you, you might sit in here tonight and say, well, no, that's for other people. Uh, it's for transgressors, but I'm a gnarly transgressor. That's the California lingo, by the way. I'm really wicked. That might be also, right? Wicked. That's like a Boston thing. Okay, you're really evil as people. We're sinners, okay? <laughs> and you might say, I'm too sinful. Can I tell you? You're not. <laughs> The Lord, yes, you are a sinner, but you haven't gone so far past the grace, the kindness, the love, and goodness of God. Amen? We will all testify that tonight. We don't even want to start that game, right? Let's find out who's the worst that's been saved, right? Here's the simple testimony. We once were blind, right? But now we see. It doesn't matter how blind you are, you're blind. You need to come to the Lord and see and be given new life. And see in this section what it says here. Is they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich is death. And if we read that just in Isaiah, we'd say, what is that talking about? <laughs> that sounds like a contradiction. How is he going to die with both, may have a grave with the wicked, but with the rich in his death? 700 years before Jesus is born. <laughs> you could read this and say, well, it makes sense. He died between two thieves, two, two criminals. He died with the wicked. His grave was essentially with the wicked. But where was he put in that tomb? It was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man. And he was a follower of Jesus Christ. We're told that in Matthew 27, 57. He believed upon the Lord. He said, no, this isn't right. I'm going to give him the tomb, that freshly hewn tomb. I'm going to give it to Jesus. And I love it. Jesus used it like an Airbnb. He was in it for three days. <laughs> I love that. When we give things to the Lord and we're like, oh man, this is a valuable thing. The Lord has good, cool ways of giving it back we don't even know about, by the way, right? He's like, oh, I'm going to give this tomb to Jesus. He's like, peace, I'm out in three days, right? So that's pretty awesome. Um, it's interesting though. It says, he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is huge. Because he died a perfect man. He suffered the death of a criminal, though he was perfect. And see, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God in him. Amen? Hallelujah for that. <laughs> That word become in that verse, for those of you that haven't been to McKinney before, you know I use this word a lot. It's one of my favorite Greek words. It's hinomai. To become something. It's to be completely changed. It's just to go from this and to be this new thing. And he says, he became sin, right? So that we can become the very righteousness of God. We deserve that death. We are sinful, but we are becoming and we have become in Jesus Christ the righteousness of God. Sanctification begins here, but someday we're going to stand and know that we have been healed by His stripes. That He did it. That He completed it. And now we are so blessed to know that His sacrifice was completely satisfactory to the Father. Amen? Look at the last few verses. We're almost done here. Look at 10 through 12. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord... To bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. 
And see, this is a cra pretty crazy verse when you read verse 10. If you take this out of context, and I've seen many people in the world try to do things like this. I don't know if you've seen this. This has been a hot thing on social media for people to do. They're like, oh, God was a child abuser. God the Father. You know, he abused his son. That's what you're celebrating today. Can I tell you that one verse? It says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to put him to grief. But we need to understand something. <laughs> Jesus was no victim. Jesus willingly headed to a cross to die for sins. Amen? Jesus was never a victim of anyone. He wasn't a victim of the, of the Roman government. He wasn't a victim of the Jews. He willingly went. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on myself, and I have power to take it again. <laughs> and he proved it. Amen? And see, in this verse, what it says, it pleased the Lord. We say, why would that please God? Because this was the only way the salvation could be granted to all of us. This is pleasing because it doesn't end at the grave. He's going to rise again. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. But guess who never sinned? Jesus. <laughs> he took our sin, but since he himself was perfect, conquered death, rose again, God said, you are not will. you're not... Not, you don't deserve this death. You will be resurrected. And by, on Sunday, when we celebrate this, that's the receipt of the transaction. Amen? If Jesus doesn't rise again, we don't know if he was ever telling the truth. But he said in John 5, 24, he said, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Well, how will we know that that's true if he stays dead? He rose again to show, I'm perfect. I didn't lie when I said that. If that was a lie, the wages of sin is death. I should be dead in a grave. But instead, I'm out here. I'm risen again as we see on Sunday. He's going to show himself to many, many people. And can I tell you, Jesus is alive today. And I love this because the reason he went to the cross was to suffer our sin, our shame, our guilt, our pain, what was meant for us. He absorbed the wrath of God. And because of that, we have salvation. <laughs> and see, that pleased God. He says, because he's doing this, it says, he also would bless him with some, several things. He says, he'll see his seed. Jesus sees the output, the, the, all the children of God that have now become the seed through this. Amen? <laughs> We have grown into the family of God because of what Jesus has done. It also says that he'll have his days for long. That's the resurrection, and he still lives today. Revelation 1.8 says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And it says that the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Salvation is prospering today. <laughs> and he's there, and the Father is absolutely pleased with the Son. For his willful obedience to go and die in our place. <laughs> and see, this is why it says, again, in 11, it says, he, he shall see the labor of his soul and it be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall, shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Let me tell you what's happening in that verse. He labored with all of his soul. <laughs> he poured out everything that was within him for our sins. <laughs> And it says that it was satisfying. It was satisfying for Jesus because he understood, as I'm doing this, there's a joy that others are now going to come in. That my, my people that believe upon me, their sins will be removed and they will become children of God. But also it was satisfying unto God the Father. You see, in this section, when it talks about him 
becoming this, this offering, this offering for sin. It's the same word that is used in Leviticus 5 that talks all about the trespass offering. You see, animals, one after another, were sacrificed to cover sin. But when Jesus came, He came, became the true sin offering that took away our sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our sins from us. Amen? Psalm 103.12 tells us that. I love that He says east to west. We know this, right? If He says north to south, you go north long enough, you're going to come back south. But east to west, you keep going east, you're never going to run west. <laughs> He says, that's how far I'm removing your sin. I'm going to take these things from you. I'm going to put these upon him. And because he willingly does this, he's going to justify many. And it says, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. You read that and you say, well, what's that mean by his own knowledge? What this means is, if you have knowledge of who Jesus is, your sins will be taken from you. If you don't know and believe who Jesus is, can I tell you, He died for the sins of the world, but it's not a message of universalism. You have to profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. The, the sacrifice has been given. You must receive it. You have to call on the name of the Lord, as Joel 2.32 says, as Romans 10.30 tells us. We have to call on the name of the Lord. But whoever calls on Him, can I tell you, <laughs> you will be saved. It is absolutely sure. It is absolutely certain. And see, it says in verse 12, it says, I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, I love that last line. He made intercession for the transgressors. <laughs> Are you a transgressor? <laughs> Have you broken the rules of God? Have you rebelled against the Lord at some point? Can I tell you, He has a plan to deliver you if you call on the name of the Lord. That's what this says. He made intercession for the righteous? No. <laughs> he made intercession for the, the clean? No. He made intercession for the transgressors. Praise God, He didn't come just to save those that thought they were well. He came to save the sick, the needy. But you have to understand that you must profess that you have sinned. And identify that. But repent and trust in the Lord. Amen? And see, I love this because it said in verse 12 that, that the Lord is going to divide him a spoil, a portion of the great spoil. Think about this. In the Old Testament, when they go into battle... When you were victorious over the other, the other lands, the other people, there was a spoil. And that was basically what you received for being faithful to the commands of the chief, of the one that's in charge, giving the, the marching orders. And it says here that since Jesus obeyed the marching orders of the commander of the Father, he's going to get a piece of that spoil. <laughs> I love that because we're also told in Romans, I believe it's Romans 8, 12, it says, we have become co-heirs with Christ. Does that blow your mind? <laughs> we have no business being in this relationship with the Lord. If He just said, I'm going to die for sin so that you don't have to go to hell for eternity, you'll just cease to exist, that would be mercy. But in His grace, He says, no, I'm going to bring you into eternity with me and be co-heirs in the kingdom to receive this. And I love it because we're going to receive these crowns, the crowns of life, the crown of righteousness, and we're going to cast them right back at the feet of the Lord because they belong to Him. Amen? It is His victory. Let me tell you what we've been celebrating tonight, why we call it Good Friday. It's because Jesus didn't stay dead. <laughs> he rose again. It shows that tonight, this day, Good Friday represents that the payment was satisfactory. <laughs> 
people think that's so weird that the Christian church gets together and calls the day that their leader, their founder, their lord, their king of kings was killed. They call it Good Friday. Isn't that weird? No, because we understand the significance of it. And see, what we're so blessed to do tonight is to partake in communion, to do it in remembrance of the work of Jesus Christ. And so I want to welcome up my brother, Pastor James from Calvary Chapel, Deeper Waters. And we're going to have a time as a body just to be able to partake in communion. But I want to tell you, the Lord loves you. And if you have never put your trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ, if you've never recognized that He died for your sin, today is the day of salvation. Put your trust in the Word of Jesus. Put your trust in the testimony of Jesus. He was resurrected because He never lied. He told the truth. And I'll tell you, in this room, there is replicated proof of salvation. Because <laughs> He doesn't leave you the way you are. He takes you and He makes you something new to glorify Him. It's what you were made for. And if you're here and you, don't, you haven't done so, you need, to, you need to handle business tonight with the Lord. But for those of us that have put our trust in the Lord, we get to celebrate tonight. <laughs> to reflect upon the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was given for us. Amen? Awesome. I'm going to hand it back over to James. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Church, as we come together, um, yeah, as we come together tonight, there's some believers here from other churches. Jesus Christ was crucified. And I want to point us toward the scriptures where we have instructions on communion. But I want to give you a background here. A couple days before Jesus was crucified, he was having supper. And it was likely the Passover meal, Seder, with his disciples. Now that meal that they partake in, every element of that meal had a meaning, had a significance that pointed the Jewish people to remember of the exodus that had taken place, how God had brought his people out of Egypt. After completing that meal, Paul goes into descriptions in 1 Corinthians of what Jesus said after that. And we're going to see that Jesus takes elements of this meal and now brings a new symbolism, a new meaning to these very elements that they had on the table with them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 at verse 23, Paul speaking says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take heed, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup, and after, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, what Jesus had done is he had taken this bread, this unleavened bread, which was symbolic of being sinless. It had no leaven. It, it was pure. And he had taken this bread and he had broken it. And when he had broken it, he said, Look, brothers and sisters, this body is going to represent what I'm going through. He's telling the disciples, I'm going to be broken. As we read today in Isaiah, bruised, beaten, but I'm doing it for you guys. I'm going through this for you. And he does it willingly. Likewise, he takes a cup that has wine in it. And the cup, he's saying, is symbolic of his blood. The blood was symbolic of life, new life. And he was telling this blood was being shed. My blood would be shed for a new covenant that I'm making with you. 
that you would receive new life. What Jesus was doing is he was now completing the Seder. He was now establishing new elements for the church, us, to partake in, in remembrance of what Jesus went through. And on Good Friday is the day that we come together as Christians to likewise remember what it was that Jesus went through. In a moment, we're going to have a, a quick moment of prayer. We're going to have some worship. And there's going to be elements distributed in the back of the room and here up front. You're welcome to get the elements on your own whenever you feel fit. But once you do, we want to encourage you guys to take this time to examine yourselves. Give thanks to the Lord. And genuinely take to heart what Jesus said here. This do in remembrance of me. That's why we're here. That's what this is all about. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we give you thanks, Lord. You are holy. You are mighty. You are true. You are everlasting. As we come together as your church to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on that cross, help us to remember. Help us to see the understanding in Scripture of what Jesus went through. To truly appreciate the sacrifice that was made. We give you thanks that you saw it fit to provide Jesus as a propitiation for our sins, as a means for forgiveness of people would not be bound by a sacrificial ritualistic system but by faith through grace alone would we be saved and that faith being in Jesus Christ as we examine our hearts and we dwell on that truth we ask that you would bless this gathering as we partake of these elements let us remember that this bread is symbolic of Jesus' body that it was broken, and by his stripes we are healed. And as we partake of this cup, let us be reminded of Jeremiah, how it says by blood he would create a new covenant with his people. It truly is finished. Jesus truly did it on the cross. And we give you thanks and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, feel free to collect the elements when you are ready. Take a moment with your family or those whom you're next to to take a moment to remember why exactly we're doing this. God bless you.